Well, I am glad we are together for Kickoff Sunday. Kickoff Sunday is what we're calling it. By the way, it has nothing to do with football. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Today's the Lord's Day. We shouldn't even be playing football on Sunday. I will be watching at 3.15, but today's the Lord's Day, and glad to be together, aren't you? I want us to start by doing something I don't usually ask you to do. Um, that, that should make you nervous, usually, but, but I don't think this is a big deal. Um, I want you to turn to your neighbor, okay? So if you're not near someone, you need to be near someone for this exercise. Anyway, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say two things. I want you to say, you ready? I want everyone to do this. I want you to turn to your neighbor. You can go left, right, both. And I want you to say, I need this church and I need you. Go ahead. All right, that's enough. It didn't take that long, did it? Come on now. I don't know what you guys are talking about, maybe food after the service or something. Now, the reason I wanted you to do this is I want to impress upon you today our need for what we have here at Emmaus, okay? And our need for what we have with each other, okay? And, and, and I also want to impress upon you our need, or I should say the world's need for it too. Be, because if you need it, someone else probably needs it. Am I right about that? If I need this, well then, then someone else needs this. I've been, I've been thinking about Rally Day. I look forward to kickoff Sunday every year because we want to start off the ministry year on the right foot. And as I've been thinking about this year, what comes to mind for me is the term impact. Impact. That as I am impacted, I will be an impact for the world. And that's my prayer for this year for each one of us. That this ministry would be impactful in order to be an impact in the world we live. To go a little bit deeper with this today, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Would you do that? Matthew chapter 5. If you've got a Bible or your app, just go there. It will also be before you on the screen. We have in Matthew chapter 5, as you're going there, I'm just going to give you a little introduction. We have in Matthew chapter 5 what we call the Great Sermon on the Mount. And we're only going to look at a very small section of the Sermon on the Mount. But let me introduce it by just saying this. In Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, we have what we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Uh, the internal, so to speak, characteristics of what it is to be a disciple of Christ. This sermon that Jesus preaches is about what it looks like, what it is to be a disciple of Christ. He's speaking to the disciples just as He is speaking to us today. And so He starts with the internal characteristics of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And then He, then he follows that with an exhortation. What I mean by that is He gives us a bit of a warning. Because you will look like this, and this is very countercultural to the world, you will face 
challenges and hardships. In other words, he's just being honest with us. Because Jesus knows, Jesus knows that there will be hardship in following him. And this is something that, of course, we experience on a daily basis. And maybe we don't experience it here like some around the world, but on some level there is, there is persecution. And Jesus knows our hearts. He knows that because of these challenges, we will be inclined to go one of two directions. Because we're human. Because naturally speaking in a fallen world, when we face hardship, we have an inclination to either fight the resistance, and all throughout church history this has been the case, in one way or another, or get away from culture, remove ourselves from it, and protect against it. And so to that, Jesus says next to his disciples what we're going to focus on today. Let me read it for you. He says, you, we should get all our attention, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Look at verse 16. In the same way, church, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, these are your words as we, as we take some time to focus on your word. We ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen? Amen. The title of my sermon is Be the Change. Be the Change. How, how, how will the world know? Uh, who will meet the need? What, what, what will give direction and protection and support and encouragement and companionship and community and accountability and care? Needs that each one of us have. Needs that I hope we as a church are meeting in this community and, of course, outside. Who will meet the need? The question is, those God has called to make an impact. Those God has called to be a difference maker, to be the change we want to see. It's kind of a popular phrase these days. I was watching a football game. There's a shocker. I was watching a football game this week, and on the back of the helmet of one particular team was this phrase, be the change. I was thinking about that phrase before it because it actually goes quite well with what Matthew 5 is talking about. Now, not so much in a secular way, uh, but we'll kind of unpack that and look at what that means here. But it said, be the change. I think you can think of a number uh, of different movements in society today in which people are seeking to see change in what we might call a decaying and troubled world. Church, the question is not so much 
Are we hoping for change? Should we be about change or not be about change? The question really should be for us, how do we incite change? And what will make lasting change? Well, we're given, given this picture in our text today. Jesus gives us two illustrations, pretty simple. In the ancient world, salt, which is very valuable, had two purposes. It was used as a preservative. Does everyone know what I'm talking about when I say preservative? Right? And it was used, and it was used as a flavor enhancer. Uh, Jesus is giving us a vivid picture here. Like God set apart the nation of Israel to be a holy priesthood, we who are grafted in, His followers are to be people set apart, primarily, the picture here is, people set apart as a preserving influence in society. The main point is very, very simple. Salt that is no longer salty and light that is hidden does not impact the world. Make sense? It's worthless. I thought about maybe entitling the sermon, um, Don't Be Worthless, but that sounded so negative. And on kickoff Sunday, I wasn't going to go with that. Anyway, don't be worthless. (laughs) The first thing that Jesus is actually speaking to, you ready for it? The, The first thing that Jesus is speaking to is the term engage. That Jesus calls the church to engage the culture with the gospel. Not, not, not hide away. Not remove yourself. Engage. You are the salt of the earth. It implies that God is calling you and there's no one else in your circle of influence. You are to engage. Because you are where you are. You live where you live. You go to work or school where you go. Because God has a purpose for you there. The illustration is actually a strong one. Again, remember salt is a change agent. It it preserves by extracting moisture. It enhances the taste of whatever it is on. What does it really mean to engage? I mean, some might say, I'm sure we should be doing something, but, but, but Pastor, let's be very, very careful when we talk about engaging the culture because, uh, because, because you know that's a slippery slope. You know, if we're, we're to stick our, our toe in too far, well, then, then, then maybe we're going to conform to the world. Interesting, Jesus was criticized for engaging the culture. Do you recall this? Matthew 9 is one place where we see this. It says in verse 10, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now understand, tax collectors, these were Jewish people 
who were hired by the Roman government to take the money from the people. So they were traitors. So this was a big deal, okay? We're not downplaying the Pharisees' concern here. And sinners, that was, that was a label for those who, who did not belong in the church. They, they weren't allowed to enter temple for various reasons of uncleanliness. That's the picture we're given here. And here Jesus is, is with both. And they're sharing a meal. Verse 11, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, notice they didn't go straight to Jesus. <laughs> They're like us. We don't go straight to the source. We tell our friend. And then maybe our friend tells another friend and that friend tells us. Yeah, anyway, just observation. <laughs> but when they heard it, when he heard it, when they come to him and tell him what beef they have with him, when, when he finds out, here's Jesus now going to the Pharisees and saying this. Those who are well have no need for a physician. Kind of like, what would you think I was going to do? But, but those who are sick. And, and then he brings them back to the, the Old Testament and something that they would have known so well. Uh, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. The key is verse 12. Those, those who are well have no need for a physician. Those who are well. As if to get them to think. Wait a second. Wait a second. Those who are well. Those who have no need of anything. Is there really anyone who has no need of anything? <laughs> He's getting them to think. Wait a second. Wait a second. What about my heart? I need a Savior. I have something within me, like selfishness, that causes me to be not the person I want to be. Not the God-honoring person God is making me into be. I need a Savior. And to that, the Pharisees should have said, well, I guess that's all of us. But we know that was not their response. That everyone should say, well, we all need salt and we all need light. I am spiritually sick and I need the great physician. It reminds me of Romans 12.2 as it relates to what we're talking about today. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What Jesus was really getting at is the true meaning of Romans 12 too, as Christ is in you, and He is transforming your heart. Every day, the disciple of Jesus is growing more in conformity to the image of Christ and less and less in love with the world. So therefore, engage as you live out His will for your life. 
Because as Christ does this within us, we begin to shine. And we'll get to the second illustration in a minute. But let me illustrate this a bit further. Here's a picture. I don't know if you've heard about this, but I've already talked about it. I did a backpacking trip in Death Valley, California this summer as I was on my sabbatical. And this area is probably one, maybe the most unique place I have ever been in the world. Seriously. What you see there in the picture, and I, I hope that's not hard to see, but what you see there is the, the floor of Death Valley. That is a salt flat. It's a mixture of a high concentration of salt that has evaporated from the seas that were once there and, and, and the mud that has come up from the sediment. And it's created this weird thing, this, um, this jagged, awful, boulder-like field for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It, there is no possible way you could cross it, but slowly, I guess. It's called the Devil's Golf Course. I didn't name it. Don't be mad at me. <laughs> Sacrilegious. But... But it's called that because only the devil could play golf there, I guess, is what they said, which is terrible. I didn't name it, though. But it is this crazy, jagged place. And what's very unique about this area is as the rains come from time to time, and they did just weeks after I was there, it continues to change and shift and, and morph this area. And it creates this, this crazy floor. And as it changes and shifts and is constantly shifting and moving because of its high salt content, The, the influence grows. So in other words, it grows deeper and more jagged and more crazy. Now, that part of the illustration is not really all that great, but bear with me for a second. Because what's unique about the basin is that the floor itself, as it's constantly moving, is a picture of our lives. Here's the interesting thing. Salt itself is not a living organism. Without the salt, it's not going to shift and change. But it's not the salt that is the true agent of change. But when salt is mixed with something that is living, it becomes what we call a locomotive type agent, affecting a great deal of change as it affects the moving and shifting. Am I trying too hard with this illustration? You can nod your head yes. Yeah. But here's the thing. What we have to remember is when it comes to being the change, there is nothing in ourselves that can change or be the change. But when Christ is in us, when God does that work and changes us from within, that's when true change actually begins. Notice how Jesus begins with identity first in the text. You are, church, you are the salt of the earth. Not you will be if you just try harder or when you reach a certain stage in your faith, then you will be the salt. You are the salt. The only salt 
and light we have is in Jesus Christ. It's the believer who has received the free gift of grace. The free gift of grace. That is the salt and therefore the light of life. And this is connected to the second illustration. Uh, Look at verse 14. You, church, you are the light of the world. A, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Never was intended to be. It cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. Of course, a picture of a candle burning, lighting up a dark room, and together... And this was actually the picture Jesus was giving to his disciples. Together, many candles, many lights, really brightening up the place. Yes, Jesus doesn't just call us to engage the culture with the gospel, but he calls us to stand out for the gospel in a world that is decaying. And this is how he is glorified. If what's inside is shining... People will see the glory of God. If we are salty, the taste will be a recognition of what God is doing as we preserve and enhance what God has so graciously given us. Another way of saying this, church, as I am impacted, I will be an impact. Because as God works in my heart, I will impact the world. For only His work in us will bring Him the honor and glory He deserves. I want you to do something for me before we close. I I want you to think about someone in your life that has impacted you to the point that you saw or are seeing the glory of God in them. You know, Emmaus has been around for 70 years this year. And, and you don't stick around for 70 years without making an impact in the lives of the ones we're ministering to. But I want you just for a moment to pause and think about someone who has made an impact in your life that, that showed you the true glory of God. And, and as you think about that person, I, I want you to realize that just as you have been impacted, God is calling you to be an impact on someone else. So again, my prayer for Emmaus this year, as we kick off a, a, a new ministry season, may I be freshly impacted in order that I could be an impact. And here's the thing. When that occurs, God is glorified. Because this is not about us. Yeah, we need it. We need it. But it's really not about us. It's about Him. The one who came to save. The one who laid down His life. 
the one who gave up everything so that we could be saved. This is what the world needs. This is what we will continue to proclaim. And as we do that, oh, we'll see the glory of God. Do we have the faith that, that God is going to do a very, very powerful and bold thing among us? Or for that matter, that He is doing something very powerful and bold here within us. You know, it begins here, but it doesn't stay here. You, you know what I mean. It begins here. We need this. We need the gathering. God is worthy of our worship, ministry, community. But this is only the start. Because as we go from here, we are then the salt and light to the world. And that's how a world is changed. As it begins within us, we are shining the grace that He is within us. And as glory goes to the Father, more and more are impacted. That's how you see change. No movement that we are seeing in the world today will make anything lasting as far as change goes unless it is eternal. And the good news, that's the only message we have to give. The good news. Good news. It's easy to get caught up in the not-so-good news, isn't it? In fact, we could be a church that's all about the not-so-good news. <laughs> Sometimes we are. But God didn't call us to proclaim the bad news. He called us to proclaim the good news. The good news that He has come. And through His transformational work in our hearts, there is salvation found in only Jesus' name. For what Jesus offers is forgiveness that will affect the, the decaying that is within our own hearts. Why, why does salt affect decay it takes away the moisture what is that moisture within our hearts it's sin what is our need that Christ would take away that which is causing decay and as he does that in my life and in yours oh then we start to see the impact of the gospel would you pray with me heavenly father as we as we not yet but as as we go from here and make our way to this time of fellowship, uh, Lord, may we first pause and remember that, Lord, this is only the beginning. That it's from here that we impact our world as we are salt and light. As we are change agents in the places you have put us. So, Lord Jesus, impact my heart so that I can be an impact. And as you do that, as we anticipate this year, something very, very special, Lord, we would pray that as, as we are transformed, all the glory would go to you. So bless our time now as we, we fellowship and, and bless our time together as we celebrate the kickoff of a new year.
work in us that which is pleasing to you so that we can be an impact in our communities. Lord, bless, bless Emmaus and the ministry that is ahead. Protect and keep us. Go before us and be glorified so that all the world would know. In your name we pray. Amen.